listening to Car Radio, brought to you by Walkers TV from YouTube. Oh yeah. All right, boys and girls, welcome to the second episode of, uh, actually, I'm not going to call it Rockers Radio anymore. Uh, since the last podcast, the name actually changed to uh, <laughs> to Rockers Cars, because I think as a title, you got to have the subject in the title. So Rockers uh, Radio is now Rockers Cars. I don't actually know if I'm going to call it Rockers, actually, Car Radio sounds quite cool as well. So Car yeah. Radio brought to you by Rockers TV, I think sounds kind of better. What do you think? Yeah, doing much better. Yeah, okay, cool. So I think today I got a guest for you, like I promised you in my last podcast, and uh, his name is Charlie, or Charlie B. Photography on Instagram, and also his website as well. So Charlie is a professional uh, automotive photographer, and uh, we've got all kinds of things to, to, to talk to you guys about today. We got, uh, we're going to be talking about McLaren, we're going to talk about BMW, but we're going to start with Charlie and uh, his journey to becoming a professional photographer. So Charlie, welcome to um, Car Radio. How are you doing? Thank now? you for having me on the newly appointed car radio. <laughs> yeah, I think do you think that sounds better, though, right? I, I think so. I think, well, Rockers Radio is nice. Got a nice ring to it, obviously, because oh, alliteration. Is thing, isn't it? I'm, I'm kind of like between a rock and, but, a, and a hard place. But I think car radio, I mean, it does sound a bit like, uh, do you know, have you heard of the podcast um, Spike's Car Radio? Uh, I, th- I might have, yes. It's, it's a quite popular one, um, definitely in the States, and I think it's making its way into the UK from what I have seen. Okay. But, like, car radio just works because it is a kind of radio show about cars. A car radio is a thing that people can relate to. Yeah. That, you know, the best things always come from a kind of recognizable place. Yeah, play on something like that, so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I, think, I don't know. You get raucous car radio works. Actually, you know that, that's not too bad. Actually, you know, I, I, I will nick that. <laughs> my my check is uh, will be in the uh, in the mail. I okay, no worries. Raucous car radio. There you go. So problem solved. So Charlie, let's start with your journey. So Charlie, where are you from, and how the hell did you become like this incredible automotive photographer? Uh, the where am I from part is difficult. Um, so I was born in Canada. Um, I lived in Canada for a while, then lived uh, in Europe as well, um, moving around a bunch of places. And then most recently I did university in Vancouver before moving to the UK. Uh, that was about 2014. Um, and I'd originally moved here to do advertising. Um, and so I kind of found my way into advertising to do strategy and, uh, and planning, as it's called. Um, and that had led me into working on accounts like Toyota UK and to Europe, uh, as well as Volvo. So I was able to kind of get a, almost scratch the itch that was kind of my passion for cars while still doing my day job. But in about 2015, I think, I'd just, uh, I'd gotten a longboard and I had been cruising around um, London, like Hyde Park area, and you would always see these cars. And there's something about, so I've always been into cars since I was young, mm. but in, in Toronto where I lived, especially like the area of town that I lived in, like there were cool cars there, but there weren't like London level cars. And I think anyone who's been to London or follows London car spotters and everything knows that there is just a level of car 
that you can see in London that you just almost do not see anywhere else or is such a density of amazing cars in such a small place yeah i think i definitely i mean london for me is uh <laughs> it's uh you see the most incredible most expensive most rare cars in the world i'm, I'm not just talking about cars mm. in general i'm talking about like hypercars supercars cars yeah. that basically live in museums and sometimes you find these cars actually driving on the streets of london so we're very very blessed in that way to have such a well, variety there's the, there's the um supercars of london account mm. and if you look at its equivalent because there's now you know supercars of manchester supercars of birmingham supercars of paris supercars of toronto whatever you know there's variations on all of them and you know i'm not trying to slay any of those accounts but they just don't have the same you know regular quality or high quality of cars as london does there's just no one can compete really in terms of how many cars are there how many cars are driven around by people um the quality of cars the variation in cars you know and i think it's something we'll probably talk about later but what i like about the car scene is that you can you can have two people with entirely different tastes in cars who will still find a common a commonality you know you can have a guy in a koenigsegg and a guy show up in a i don't know some kind of track ready Vauxhall corsa and in theory they can you know they can wax lyrical about car stuff you know because they one may not be able to afford what the other one has but doesn't mean that they don't share the same passion and interest i think for me that's uh one of the things that i love most about the whole car community here in the uk because i got into the whole car thing i think 2016 around the time that i think you arrived in the uk i presume did you say 2015 or 2016 uh i started looking at i started like photographing cars when i was out and about in like 2016, 2016. but i arrived in 2014. Yeah, so about the same time as, as me, um, I got into it more in 2017. And before that, I didn't realize there was such a huge community in London as well, because for me, it was purely accidental. Um, on weekends, normally I do like, portrait photography. I'd be walking around London doing street photography and all that stuff. And one day I just yeah. ended up uh, at the Dorchester Hotel around Mayfair. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to cut a long story short, that's how I kind of got into the whole car scene. And uh, I realized, like car owners are so open here people are so friendly and there is no like you were saying before you could be driving i don't know a bugatti and then the other guy could be driving a Vauxhall corsa but they have mm. a common language that they understand that everyone's able to communicate freely without any issues and uh yeah. that is what i love most about the car scene here in london just the, the variety of things uh that yeah we're able to and see so that's incredible that's what first got me into it um when i was living around ladbrook grove area at the time yeah and I think one of the first photographs on my account um, is of a, uh, it's like a British racing green almost. And I know I'm going to get slated by all the Porsche people. Uh, so immediately oh, you have to be, be able a to Porsche go. For you, isn't it? For you. Or they're like, this, this, you don't understand. This color code is, and you're like, I have no idea. Um, I think, it, I think. Thinking about it now, it's Brewster Green, but at the time I had no idea. It just looked like a green car. And it was underneath the green awning, and I just thought that was a cool photograph, wow. so I put it out. Um, and started to kind of just like photograph cars here, there, and everywhere. And then I kind of fell out of it as work started becoming a bit insane. Uh, and then I picked it up again, but properly with a half decent camera about two years ago. Um, was that when I like met when you, like two years ago then? 
Was that two years no, ago? No, so you and I met... Uh, yeah, no, yeah. So, will it be about two years ago? Yeah, H.I.O. Um, and I think it was, uh, it was the F.A. Tributo delivery, wasn't it? If I remember. Yeah, so... Uh, no, it wasn't the F.A. It was the Pista. <gasps> Yeah, that's yeah. two years ago. So I had been talking to Harry a bunch. Yeah. Um, at Harry Medway Smith. Yeah. In the comments. Um, Mr. Paul. And yeah, exactly. That's why I'm kind of covering myself with the. I think it's Bruce Green. Please don't kill me, Harry. Um, but it was yeah. So it was the four eight eight piece to launch. Um, so yeah, and I was talking to you there briefly. Um, that's when I think I found out, uh, I think you were walking back to the tube or something. Yeah. To go back to Wimbledon. Yeah, then I and think- I was like, oh, no way, me too. I think, because we went to HRO and didn't we? Went to HRO and Lamborghini afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was chatting to one of the guys there. Then you disappeared, I was like, where did he go? And he just like, he just vanished. I can't remember what it was, but something caught my attention. Yeah, and you just ran off. Yeah. <laughs> no, Nothing like, about that has changed. Thing? I still do that. I still do that. Oh, um, I still am prone again. to do that. So, so yeah. So that wasn't long after I got my my first camera. So, mm. well, my first like proper camera, because for a while I had a point and shoot. Um, I was taking most photographs with my phone as well. Wow. But um, 2018 October, I think it was. I got a Canon 5D Mark II and a 50 millimeter lens. And that was about 300 quid because it was an 11 year old camera. So modest starts, yeah, modest startings. <laughs> yeah, but like, it's still a camera I use today, right? Like it's because they're so well built, but also they were at the top of the line back then. Mm. And actually, unlike computers or phones, those kind of cameras, because they weren't computers like the EOS R is today or the Sony cameras, they didn't age as badly because the menus are effectively the same as they are now. You just attach a different lens to it. I mean, the only frustration is that, you know, maybe the um, like rate of fire isn't as high. Yeah, the fact that you can't get an SD card in there is killing me slowly. Um, <laughs> and like that kind of stuff, but actually it was quite good to learn on, I think, because it wasn't so yeah. up to date, if that makes sense. Yeah, I see what you mean, because I remember seeing that camera. It was it was huge. I was like, what's that oh, yeah. massive thing you're carrying around with you everywhere? Well, and it then... doesn't help when I added a battery grip to the bottom. That, <laughs> didn't, that didn't help. And I think I tried it, it was so heavy. I was like, Jesus Christ, yeah. imagine like walking around with this. Uh, yeah, for me, it was just like, nah, it's too, too much for me. But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed learning on that. And I kind of, I did the kind of usual thing of, you know, I'd work Monday to Friday and then weekends I'd go out and shoot um, and just kind of, you know, photographing cars that I found, doing what everyone does. Um, and then I think basically like work started to become quite terrible as an understatement. Um, <laughs> and that was around the time that I, you and I had booked to go to Geneva. Oh yes, I think that was my first time in Geneva as well, I remember. Yeah. It was my first time in, yeah. I think I'd been in, no, I'd been in Geneva before, but not for the car show. Yeah, um, actually, yeah. And I managed to, without any like press credential, I was one of those things where I was like, it'd be really cool if I could hit, I remember this, if I could hit a thousand followers before I went to Geneva. 
and I think I was at like 995. Yeah. I'm not saying that I've blown up since. Feel uh, free to follow. I think you've come a long way since then, for sure. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll go into that discussion later because I think I have an opinion on that kind of stuff, but that's, yeah. Yeah. Me. Um, yeah, so I remember, you know, when we got to the, the motor show convention hall, um, we said that I was your extra cameraman <laughs> as a way to get in. Cause like, I was like, oh, here's my, uh, cause you, I remember you said something like, just go up there, just like write your name down, just say you're doing this and the other, be no problem. And they were like, mm, sorry, mm, we don't just let anyone in for a media pass. And then it was, uh, and then I was like, uh, I'm his camera guy. And they're like, oh, that's fine. That's fine. I still have that pass. Oh, that's hilarious. It says Charlie, uh, raucous media. And I was like, all right, fine. Works for me. And he um, like, a, like a charm. Yeah, and I, had, I can't remember if it was before or after that, but we had that Topaz track day. Yeah. Um, oh, Silverstone, and, yes, of course. Yeah. yeah, and so when we were at that, that was kind of my first time at a, tr well, was my first time at a track, and my first time kind of photographing cars there. So that was just basically like a baptism of fire on how to try panning shots. Yeah. And I'd spent ages um, beforehand kind of reading up on how to do, basically how to do panning shots and then had kind of practiced it on Sloan Street because in theory, everyone should be going 30 miles an hour. Whether or not they do is an entirely different discussion. It is, and yeah, it's, it's an impossible. I'm not looking to throw anyone under any buses. But what it allows you to do is kind of, cars are going roughly the same speed, so you get to practice what shutter speed works for cars mm. going at certain speeds. Yeah. So you can kind of start to do the maths in your head of, all right, on track, you can start to figure out what shutter speed you should be going at so that you get a nice kind of blurred background. Yeah. The wheels are blurred because they're moving, but the car is all in focus. Yeah. So anyway, so I, long story short, I taken some photographs of a green uh, Porsche 964, Brewster Green, got it right this time. Brewster um, Green or Bruce, Brewster Green? Brewster Green. Brewster Green. What the, what's a Brewster? Yeah. What, the, what the hell is that? I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, part of me thinks it, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to so show my ignorance, so I'm just going to stay him on that one. We should get Medway. Uh, yeah, Medway, like, uh, we should get him to probably like, yeah, answer that correct, one. Correct. Condor Yellow is another one that he likes as well. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good color. That is a good color. Um, oh. So anyway, so these photographs of this 964 ended up making their way to a company called RPM Technic. Yeah. Um, and... I basically started talking to them and they had had their videographer slash photographer move to um, Turks and Caicos to go and photograph water skiing and all that kind of cool stuff in the sun. That's uh, I know, right? It's tough life. It's tough life for some. <laughs> um, and anyway, so it just ha like had this conversation with Lydia who runs the uh, social accounts and uh, all the marketing and stuff, or at least did at the time. Uh, now I Greg's taken over. Anyway. Um, so what ended up happening was they said, well, why don't you come down? Um, you know, we'll do a kind of a test day at a half of your day rate. What's your day rate? And I was like, I, what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? So I ended up actually using my, 
what I get charged, what I got charged out to at client or at the ad agency to clients. They charge you out as a per hour or per day basis to clients yeah. whenever they're setting up how much to charge. Them. So I managed to find out how much I was getting charged out to Volvo, who was my client at the time, and then went, okay, well, that's my day rate. Having yeah. no idea whether or not that was accurate or what, or was it, you know. Um, so I went down and um, I'd got that call from them and had decided actually, you know what, I'm done with advertising. I've had someone ask if I can go and potentially work for them to do photography. So then it was pretty simple for me to kind of go, actually, if I can get one or two gigs at around this level of income, then I can do kind of part-time or something at a Cafe Nero or working at a Sainsbury's or whatever, so that I can then pursue this line. Um, and I'd put some money away, so I'd kind of gone, actually, I've got four or five months to really plow into photography to see if it works and if it does great if not I can always go back to doing advertising or I can as I said go work at Sainsbury's Cafe Nero whatever it may be yeah um, and so my last day in the office at the ad agency was my first day working for RPM wow so it was I left the office early to get back to my house get in the car and drive to RPM that's crazy so, <laughs> so that was my first kind of paid gig and was my first uh, my first kind of like job as a then freelance photographer. See, that's really interesting for me because I remember what my feeling was like when I got my first paid gig for like uh, making a video for a client, for example. Mm. And uh, the moment you that, that money arrives in your, in your account is when you realize like, you know what, I can actually scale this up and actually do this if, if I really mm. wanted to. So what did that feel like for you, for that moment that you got that client and then when you got paid, how did that feel to you? It felt like I wasn't making as stupid of a decision as I think I had looked at it at the time. I mean, mm. part of me had gone, when I resigned, I had that first trial gig with RPM booked up. Um, but I didn't know if things would go any further than that. I hadn't had any other offers from anyone. You know, I, the first time I'd been on track was at that Topaz track day. That was the last time I had been. Um, you know, I was so new to this as well. Um, I think I'd had my camera for, what? I had it in the October. I left my job in May. Wow. So, you know, like it was only six, seven months I'd had the camera. Um, and learn or attempted to learn how to photograph um, and so it just it was one of those things where it, the money came in and you're just kind of like okay how do we do this again and again and again and try and build it up into something um, and it also kind of part of me was I was really bricking myself at first because I was like I'm about to charge someone for doing something that I'm not necessarily a hundred percent on right because I hadn't even been doing photography a year and I was about to charge someone for my quote-unquote photography skills you know what that, that's that's I think that's something that every creative goes through isn't it like um, so a lot of people are just too scared to charge the right amount of money for the job that they are gonna do or they think that the job they're gonna do because they're new is not worth charging what they should be charging but this is yeah i mean i still struggle with that 
to this day. I was mm. lucky at the time because I had saved some money up from my advertising job, so I didn't necessarily need to like make enough money to live off of immediately with photography. Like I had kind of some buffer months in place. Mm. But it's still something I struggle with now, which is like how much is the right amount? I still do a couple jobs for free as like a perspective thing. Yeah. Um, I think there's, you know, until you get to a certain level, it's you can't always be going around charging everyone. Um, and it's, I mean, I still know a lot of people who are trying to figure out what's the right amount. And you meet different people in different situations, you know? You, you can come across someone like RPM and actually you have a great relationship with them, but they're not maybe the, it's different than say working with someone like Ferrari or Bugatti or whoever, right? There's a difference in working with independent shops and building that relationship versus those big contracts. And actually, each of them have their benefits. You know, I know some people who have done work for those big manufacturers and it's a brilliant payday, or can be, but it's maybe not always, it's, it's not always regular. Whereas sometimes getting a couple of these independent shops, mm. you can get more regular work out of them. Yeah, I mean, from my own personal experience, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of similar to that. Uh, obviously I've done uh, work with Ferrari and Lamborghini in the past as well. Uh, for me, charging was not really um, an issue, if that makes any sense, because I, I kind of knew what the market rate was, if that makes any sense, but I also knew what the value of my work is. You so lucky man. I will say, look, this is how much I charge for half day or for a full day, and yeah. this is what it is. I mean, sometimes you negotiate, if, if you're going to get more work out of that client, then you can say, you know what, yeah. I can do this for you, but for this price, in the condition that I'm going to get yeah. X amount of work in a month or in a year or whatever. Right, and then it's, it's again, it's about building that personal relationship. And I think that's what has helped me get a couple of the clients I have now is more just about like going to events like the London Concours yeah. or Hampton Court or whatever. And yes, you go and you take photographs of the cool things driving around the fountain, etc. But you ha try and have conversations with as many people as possible. So you're essentially um, networking. That's essentially what it yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah. And it's because it's, in a way, the car world is very big, but very small. Like it's a massive thing, but actually in terms of, especially in the kind of the classic car world that I've ended up spending a lot of time in, um, it's a very small world where everyone knows each other. And actually, you know, if you can just be kind of friends or acquaintances or at least like be on first name terms with people that helps massively so just kind of getting to know people it's the same with um like you know the guys at lamborghini and ferrari yeah because you've built up that relationship and it's more than just you don't just like go in and take photographs and leave it's when you see them no i well like because i've seen you like with that first time we met you went in you chatted with the guy at lamborghini you're not going in there and yeah, you're not going in only when they have a paid job for you. You go and you say hi. Like that's, I think, you know, you, you're keeping that relationship going. Yeah. You're not just going, okay, well, this is a client, X, you know, and then move on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's absolutely right. It's, it's a relationship. You have to work on it and uh, you have to build that as well. Mm. So, yeah.
where do you see yourself let's say in the next you know let's say 12 months to to five years where do you see yourself as a, an automotive photographer hopefully back at a track at some point <laughs> with people would be nice <laughs> know, just out right? out and one about thing, well, one thing i was going to say is that i noticed with your instagram is like you said um you work with a lot of classic cars because i mean what i've yes. seen around my community is a lot of instagrams that i know only talk about the newest cars like yes. the newest supercars and all that stuff yes. but you've kind of found yourself in niche haven't you with the whole classic uh, car well, scene. i've always been into classic cars yeah. um and I think that's partly because that's what my dad was into or is into. He, you know, he's not, he's not like a petrol head per se. Like he likes his cars as, as much as the next person. Um, but it's not like I've met some people and their whole families have been kind of steeped in, in <laughs> motorsport or like, you know, car sales or whatever it may be. Um, but I've always been into cars and the cars I ended up always kind of being around would be classics for the most part. Um, supercars really came when I moved to London um, mm. because before that it was, yeah, it was classics and it was modified cars. Um, that's what I was really into uh, and still am unashamedly into. Now, um, I think it's cool, though, because I, I, I like the fact that it's, it's, it's a different angle to everyone else. Because when, when you go to your Instagram page, it's not just about the same things over and over again. There's a lot of variety of... Because uh, sometimes you see JDM stuff. Sometimes you see something random from, like, I don't know, from the 1940s or 30s or something. So you got, like, a, <laughs> like a whole You're spectrum welcome. of difference on your page. I think that's quite cool because um, not a lot of people uh, have that kind of variety on their page. Well, I think it's... I can't remember what it was, but there was there are some days, you know, when um, when like a LaFerrari or something comes out in London, you end up scrolling through Instagram and every single photograph is of that one car. Yeah, it's you know, it's all kind of roughly the same angle, all of the same car. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that. Like, I don't know, I, I assume that people get bored of seeing the same thing over and over again, or at least I do. Yeah. Plus, like, I've, this is going to sound, oh, God, I don't want to be controversial. It's not, hey, it's not a good there's, there's nothing wrong with a bit of controversy, okay? On, uh... well, basically, so, okay, so I grew up in the kind of, like, I was all in on the Fast and Furious. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, my dream car was obviously the R34 Skyline Whoa. that Paul Walker had. Uh, sorry, Brian O'Connor. Yeah. Um... And I also loved the uh, the black Honda Civics with the green neons. Damn. Um, but like that was what I was used to when I lived in Canada was you didn't get a lot of supercars and you didn't get that many classic cars, but you got a lot of kids because you could get a license at like 16, 17 and you got a cheap car and a lot of kids would then modify it. And like that was the thing in North America that was like, you know, I even had toys where you would take off the front bumpers and stuff and you'd put on like modified bumpers and side skirts and things like that was those were the toys that I had. Um, and I was constantly playing Need for Speed Underground. Like I I've gotten into kind of racing sims now, but I 
like even now I mainly play Forza and just completely oh, modify I, the hell that, out of cars. Don't get me started on that, okay? Because I am so desperate for a racing setup in here. I can't even tell you how crazy that is. Well, you'll have to come around when COVID's done because I've got yeah. a wheel and everything. Oh but man, that is the dream. I just, uh, no, mate, I just hop on Forza Horizon and I just modify the living daylights out of cars. <laughs> Half the time I don't even drive them. Oh, I that just, is... I put the like, the body kits on, I do I like, tune the car exactly to how I want it to look. That's and I've always been into the, like the design aspect of things because that's where, because I did go to design school for a bit. Yeah. So I've always been into how things look and cars has always been a, a part of that. But yeah, so JDM cars and kind of modified cars, I've always liked. And I think recently I've started to prefer photographing those to modern supercars because there's a story behind it yes so i can't remember what event it was at but there was some event where and it was not long after the pista had been released and three or four guys showed up in pistas and i think two or three of them looked exactly the same <laughs> red you, well <laughs> like the red they had the silver um stripe with the black like accents like that kind of stuff and there's you know those are cool but after a while you kind of these cars tend to look the same yeah i know very rarely do you get something like chris froggett's f12 tdf where it's like really that's different you know, done up hell. to the nines right yeah for real he had um, every option ticked actually talking about chris froggett um his tdf is actually tailor-made which basically means that it is uh unique <laughs> exactly yeah there was no there was no option left on the table uh, what options would you like? Yes. Okay, great. Um, but the thing I love about modified cars is that people build them for a reason or around a specific taste or whatever it may be. Yeah. So, you know, the guy, I photographed the guy's um, Goodwood Green uh, RS4 Audi. Um, what is it with you and green things, man? Like... <laughs> So far, every green significant car that you photographed has got some kind of. Well, no, on. sorry, that one's just a that one's just a recent recollection. But like, uh, or for example, um, oh god, it's going to be a Porsche. This isn't great. Uh, it's either Porsche or it's green. Um, but my friend Yaz's blue IROC Porsche, um, his Outlaw build. That is the thing I appreciate about that is he's building a tribute to a iconic race car in his own way. Damn. Right? So oh, like, I think I've seen that around Sloan Street. Yeah. Yeah, oh. so he's um, he's now kind of put stickers on it and stuff. And um, But that's what I find really interesting is people who have cars that they have stories with. And I think the same goes for classics as well. Mm. Um, and I think it's what I find um, interesting about both worlds is they're so vastly different. But at the same time, some guy who's got an S14 that he's got, uh, you know, he's working every day. And then when he gets time, he puts uh, his heart and soul into either the engine or the body kit or like building the car to how he wants it to look, feel, drive, etc. Yeah. And then you've got people who, you know, these cars are... 60 70 80 years old and they've got stories of their own and you're adding a new chapter to it or uh, you know it's a family heirloom or whatever it may be both of these cars have stories 
but these cars have uh, owners who are part of that story. Um, and I think that's something that's quite nice as a connection between the two. Mm. I went up to um, uh, a place called Retford uh, last year and I was photographing a, a friend's Porsche garage um, and uh, a guy with a, a guy called Hugh with his gold outlaw Porsche and a guy that I'd met the night before at the Weatherspoons with his white Nissan S14A. Uh, was it a white S14 I remember? Yes. I think I remember that post, yeah. So there was the two cars and you had the white modified Japanese car and then you had the gold outlaw German car. <laughs> Completely different worlds, but actually the two of them both had kind of the same ethos, which is one is a like a classic car, but he's kind of giving that car its next, next life. Whereas the Nissan car, like he's building that S14 to be the car that he wants it to be. And each of them got to experience driving along in the other person's car. And I think from what I gleaned anyway, they both got something out of it. They both kind of had a new appreciation for, for example, the guy from the Nissan feeling what a flat six without a turbo feels like what that kind of performance is like mm. and why those why Porsches are so loved and appreciated and uh, especially for their engineering and then Hugh kind of going in this Nissan that's in theory got a tiny engine in it but when you whack a massive turbo on it you know it's a completely different experience and performance to what you would get sitting in a flat six Porsche mm. you know and that's why I like either a classic or a modified car at the moment. It's just, there's a, there's more of a story to either of them. I think it's, I love Ferraris, I love Lamborghinis, I love, you know, modern cars are great, but I feel like a couple, uh, there's too many people who just kind of buy them and add them to their stable without thinking about the story behind it. You know, yeah, when you see so many of these cars bought in resale colors and kind of stashed away, especially nowadays where people think they can just stash it and it becomes an investment. <laughs> to have, yeah, that, these, uh, to have yeah. these worlds where people have got cars that have got stories attached to them. You know, that's why I like photographing is people and their cars and the, you're trying to tell a story. You're not just trying to, you know, be a yellow pages for what cars were seen out in London that weekend. See, this is the thing. What appeals to me about cars is the story behind. Like, I, I love the story behind each brand. For example, Ferrari's story and obviously Lamborghini's story, mm. Pagani's story and Koenigsegg. I find all these elements really, really interesting. It, it helps build like an affinity with that, with that brand. Um, I, I specifically like Lamborghini's story because I'm more of a... I mean, I love Ferrari, but I probably love Lamborghini. You like the idea of someone going, well, screw you, <laughs> watch me do this. I, I just like that kind of like, because when you think about it logically, had that not been the case, had Ferrari made a perfect car, mm. th there would be no Lamborghini. Think about that, that's crazy. Something had to be... I think there would have always been, it, maybe be not Lamborghini, Yeah. but there will always have been a Lamborghini. Do you think? Because someone, 
Yeah, because there's enough brands, Italian brands, that are insane, like Lamborghini, that didn't become as famous. Because the only reason, because the only reason why well, he I mean, made... Pantera comes to mind as well. Yeah. Oh, but sorry, De Tommaso. He, he made the Lamborghini because, like, uh, almost like to say to Ferrari, okay, you know, I'll show you how cars should be built. That's why he went into building cars in the first place, because his business was more building tractors, wasn't it, initially? Yeah. Uh, he just said, okay, if you can't give me the car that I want, I'm going to show you how to build a car that I want. And that's how Lamborghini was born. Because um, the story goes that... most car companies nowadays are born, isn't it? Like, that's what um, Christian uh, Koenigsegg did. Yeah, I guess. It's just the way that Ferrari spoke to him and said to, told him to basically stick to making farmers' uh, Exactly. Tractors. I think and, uh, he that's was like, the unique part of the story, is that it's almost born from this kind of rebellious nature. Yeah, and I love that kind of stuff. I love the whole rebellious... And you rebellious... can tell in the cars. You yeah. can tell they're just, you know, they're not they're not trying to be a refined Ferrari. Yeah, they're complete opposite. This is what I like. I, I just love that That's, kind of rebellious yeah, I get of that. nature. I get that. And, uh, in I mean, book... that fits with, you know, you're never one to, you know, <laughs> try and downplay how you dress or anything. Oh, come on, man. Oh, I'm not going to delve into that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, but I think this is what, you know, there's, there's a lot of brands nowadays where people can find the kind of right fit for them. There's a reason why there's a lot of people who are like only Lamborghini guys. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of people who are kind of only Ferrari guys. This is the thing though. I don't know if I could be that monogamous though. I mean, I love Lamborghini, but then there's some Ferraris that I really love, like the F40, the oh, T8 yeah. GTO. These are like, in my mind, right? If Ferrari could build a, if a Lamborghini could make a Ferrari, it would be the F40. Because look at those angles and shape. They're very, very Lamborghini-esque, mm. don't you think? Um, every other Ferrari looks like a Ferrari, but the F40 for me, looks like a Lamborghini built it. So maybe it was That's an answer. Point. I never thought of that. <laughs> That's probably the controversial thing to say. I mean, it is, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but um, the lines, man. No, I never thought about that, but that actually, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So maybe that's why I love it so much because it has so much Lamborghini in it for me. So talking well, about your... I think your... it's just, it was completely different from everything else. Yeah, and it still is. I think it stands alone in a lot of like, mm. uh, a lot of Ferraris. When you go back in history, look at all the different Ferraris. I think the F40 is quite unique in how different it looks and how different it is. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So talking about, you know, your love for JDM and uh, classic cars, you have written a lot of articles for The Speed Hunter, haven't you? Uh, I've written three. You wrote three. You wrote three articles for for Speed Hunter. Three articles. Wow. Let's not let's not say. Yeah. <laughs> let's not say a lot. Let's not over egg that one slightly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I've I've been following the Speed Hunters for ages now. Yeah. My um, photographic icon role model hero demigod um Jeez. is uh is larry chen oh, oh larry chen M machine gun larry machine gun larry <laughs> machine gun larry so if anyone wonders why i take so many photographs there you go that's the reason why i, I want to know how long he keeps his cameras for because the rate that he shoots photos man there's no way those cameras last a long time no those they, shadows would be well, knackered Apparently, he, he takes a point of pride in being the first person to hand Canon back a camera with over a million shutter actuations. What? What the hell? Yeah, no, but the thing is, like, this is the thing 
Well, it goes back to the thing about the 5D. Is yeah. that old camera, yes. That thing's at over 800,000 shutter actuations now. Damn. And it's still going strong. His cameras easily hit over one and a half million. Wow. Before they need a service. And that's the thing. It's like, yes, you're paying an absolute fortune for those cameras. Like a 5D Mark III is what, nine, 10 grand? Uh, how much? Exactly. <laughs> it's just, let's just not even... You can get a reasonable to buy, price If anyone wants money. to buy the Urbo and I'll get a camera, that'd be great. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a reason why. Like they are robust and they last and you can put them through their paces entirely. Um, but yeah, so I've always been kind of a fan of what speed hunters were doing. Um, you know, it goes back to that, like they photograph a build, but they tell the story behind it and the person and all of that kind of stuff. See, that is um, cool. That's some, I, I love that side of them as well. Yeah. And so that's that I've always found interesting. And then I had that um, experience with the S14 and the Porsche and I thought, well, actually, let me see if I can convince speed hunters that this is also very cool. Um, and they liked it. So they, yeah, they let me kind of write a little blurb and put it up on the website. And then that was shortly followed by when Harry and I, basically we had decided we wanted to go and see the 917 exhibit at the Porsche Museum. Uh, we decided kind of fairly late in the game, some would argue, i.e. like two days before. Um, and, you know, we were rushing because the 917 exhibit was going to close fairly soon. So we're like, okay, well, we need to be rapid about this one. Um, anyway, we ended up driving to Stuttgart and back, stopping off at the Nürburgring twice, and also a place called JP Performance in Dortmund, which if you're ever in Dortmund, go there, best burgers, very cool Oh, cars. man. Okay, oh, I'll so put it on my list. Um, yeah, they've got an RWB Porsche just in the middle of the restaurant. It's fine. We went to Stuttgart, went to the 917 exhibit and found out when we got there that it had been extended by another four months or something. <laughs> As you do. Anyway, we ended up driving, uh, well, seeing as I was the only one who had a license. Oh, uh, Harry, um, what the hell, man? <laughs> I know. It Mr. ended Porsche up being himself. 23 hours and 51 minutes of solid driving oh over 44 hours ouch uh i don't think i'd ever want to do that again it's highly dangerous <laughs> it's highly dangerous um but yes that ended up in speed hunters we're, oh, we're not gonna man. talk about leather seats leather seats in this weather is just too hot um and then it was the most recent one and then i did one uh, an article for Daikaku night at Caffeine Machine. Yeah. Um, and just kind of talking about how, you know, there's a, what it feels like having a kind of celebration of JDM in the middle of the British Midlands. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, I would love to keep working and doing stuff for speed hunters. It's just a question of, well, getting out there and finding the stories during this time period, right? Yeah, it is tough, isn't it? Yeah, which is why we're doing a podcast in this virtual way. Otherwise, it's like, how else can you... I prefer the whole face-to-face -face thing, but yeah, COVID I mean, is just a yeah. pain in the ass at the moment. And uh, we'll have to make do with what we can, I guess. Everyone loves a bit of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you might even get a second uh, serving of it. Oh. oh no, please no. Yeah, let's let's not talk about that. My goal would be to, at some point in time, be a kind of regular contributor to speedrunners. Yeah. I mean, they're in it. They're an amazing online community, aren't they? Because I love the stories that they post up there, and uh, it's always something really interesting that you look forward to well, sitting down, actually reading about. That's what I. That's what I love about it, and I think yeah. you, you could only do that, I think, with either the classic car world or the modified car world. Yeah. Because you see, for example, they could easily run a week of stories about golfs. And it would always be a different story every time. Yeah. Right, because they're so, like the way that people approach them is so different. Um, and I think that's that's what I love about it. I, I like how they pick the stories as well. It's not just like mm. an obvious story. There's usually an underlying, something unique about each story, isn't there? So, yeah. what is the story with Speedhunter? So if you scroll to the very bottom of the website, you'll see um, EA Games, their logo is, at the bottom of the site. Oh. Basically, what happened was when EA were pushing Need for Speed, um, especially the Underground series, yeah, they decided to build a portal <laughs> to kind of celebrate street culture and car culture um, and kind of just, you know, keep pushing it from more than just a video game to, you know, these are people with actual cars and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and it's just, it's really taken off. Wow. So it's one of those marketing exercises that has just become a part of culture. That's that's crazy. I didn't know this. This is like a yeah. news to me. So see people, you learn something new every day. So go check out Speed Hunters. And uh, so which articles do you write so people can check it out? Uh, so I wrote one called, oh, I can't even remember the title. Um, <laughs> because you wrote I'll so many. The, I'll send you all the links so you can put them in the bio. Uh, no um, worries. But uh, there was one about uh, two cars, two completely different cars built with the same ethos. So that was the uh, Porsche and that was the... the Porsche and the Nissan. Yeah. Then there was, um, oh, I think it was like to Stuttgart and back in, 40, in less than 48 hours, uh, a kind of a fitting tribute to a 24 hour oh. race car by doing 24 hours of driving. Wow. Purely coincidentally. Hans Mesja will be very happy with that. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah, for real. Um, and then the last one was um, Daikoku, uh, Daikoku Night in the British Midlands or something like that. So some say that becoming a car photographer these days is, uh, is quite difficult, especially if you want to do it full time. Uh, so what helped you learn the things that you needed to learn to become a car photographer? <laughs> That's a long ass question right there. It is, it, yes, it is tricky to do car photography full time, but I learned how to take photographs and edit photographs and do all that stuff by watching hours of YouTube videos. Man, YouTube, I, I, we live in such amazing times right now. Like, If you want to learn anything or know about anything, just, just go to YouTube eh, or YouTube and, and there it is. There literally is no excuse. So yeah, I, I, I don't know why I'm saying that, but <laughs> YouTube is amazing for learning stuff. Um, you try, you spend hours trying to copy people's styles and 
like mimic their camera angles to see how they get stuff and you know it's it's quite it depends on what approach you want to take like do you just want to document cars driving around your area or do you want to like really kind of go out and build a kind of career out of this right which means doing what we talked about before going up to the driver and asking them you know can i do can i photograph your car can i photograph you and the car you know doing that kind of stuff is is what gives people a different aspect to to what you're putting out there yeah because i think you know there's a lot of people who are incredible photographers and what also helps them stay relevant is they are constantly photographing incredible cars now if you don't have access to those incredible cars yeah <laughs> you know then you're you're going to constantly compare yourself to someone who's got access to a three four five million dollar car whereas actually if you focus on just telling stories and photographing um, the people, the car, the kind of setting, the, the story behind it, then it doesn't matter how much the car is worth. Then it's down to your ability to capture the person in front of you, the story they're trying to tell you, the car that they've got. And I think that's always interesting is when you see someone who is an incredible photographer then photographing something that isn't overly special. Because that's when you can really see them shine as as a photographer is by trying to just tell the story of someone without it being a you know completely eye-catching car one that makes everyone reshare it and all that kind of stuff i also found out that i think it depends on the audience as well because a lot of young people i found on instagram for example they just don't care about anything else if unless it's the newest brightest thing so for that demographic, you know, they look for a certain photographer. But I think the stuff that you do is more than that. It's like, um, well, that's why, you know, I'm not bitter about how many followers I have or anything. Yeah. But <laughs> there is that thing of like, at a certain point, I don't mind if I've not got hundreds of thousands of followers. I know plenty of incredible photographers who don't because, you know, a lot of the time people are being followed, not because they're a photographer but because they are as you said the go-to source for kind of the latest greatest shiniest brightest whatever it is <laughs> you know what kind of adding to that because sometimes i think people don't actually follow uh you know the, the intricacy or the beauty of the, of the photograph i think sometimes people actually follow the actual car you can take a picture of a car with a potato but, but, but because it is the latest and greatest uh you're gonna get more likes so sometimes i just feel like it's not about the photography or about the art form. It's more about what it is in the picture. <laughs> so you can take the most amazing picture of uh, of, the, of, of some old car thing and no one gives, no one cares because it's like, ah, it's not the newest, latest and greatest. It must be crap. So I ain't going to like it. If I could, I will give it a thumbs up, thumbs down instead. So there's that. I think on Instagram, it's, 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 there's a lot of what people say and what, what motivates some people is more about what is actually in the picture as opposed to how good the picture actually is oh man i actually also think we should probably end the podcast right here because i mean the plan was to talk about bmw and also uh mclaren as well but because charlie has to talk so much about 
like just like talking generally uh we kind of overshot by quite a long shot man we're nearly at an hour so what we're gonna do right now is that we're gonna do another podcast with uh bmw and mclaren and end this one here and i just want to say a big thank you for coming on to our raucous car radio and for sharing your story and uh, i look forward to having you uh on another podcast uh if you're you know if you're available if you're free uh, would you like to do another one yeah yeah yay okay cool so where can we find um you know your work i mean to learn more about what you do so i'm on instagram at charliebee.photography on the internet at www.charliebee.photography uh and those are really only the two main yeah channels i'm starting a youtube potentially well, what do we need no 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 not potentially charlie I is actually one. starting a youtube channel he's already got one, one. Yeah, you already started one, okay? So I, I guess didn't this. Promo it. <laughs> All right. So what is is it? Charlie B uh, as well, or what is it? Uh, yeah. So it's Charlie B dot photography as well. There you go. It's Charlie B dot photography everywhere on YouTube and Instagram and his website as well. So we look I've, forward actually, to seeing. Actually, I've been looking at getting Twitch. Sometime as well. <laughs> actually, I'm on Twitch as well. Can you believe that? Well, I was going to do live streaming of photo edits and like basically just like go through the photographs from the shoot. Yeah. Live with people. Like talk, take questions, listen to music. Yeah, for real, man. Twitch is an interesting one. If anyone has any questions or like wants to go and shoot stuff or any of that kind of stuff, I'm always, always down. There you go. Perfect. There you go. So uh, follow him on Twitch as well. Uh, Did he actually say you started a Twitch already or you're going to start one? Um, I'm going to start one. I'm going to start one. (laughs) I've I've got the username already, obviously. Yeah, cool. (laughs) And also, obviously, I'm Rockers TV uh, on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, uh, TikTok, and uh, RockersTV.com. Or if you like my merch, usually I wear it everywhere that I go. Uh, check out RockersWear.com. We've got more podcasts coming uh, to you guys as well. So I'm currently recording quite a few. So if you want to take part in future podcasts, uh, obviously DM me on Instagram at RockersTV. Or just go to RockersTV.com and ping me a message on my website. And uh, yeah, let's talk, people. Or let's pod. Is that even a thing? I don't know, man. Actually, let's pod sounds a bit wrong, isn't it? Uh, anyway, <laughs> take it easy, people. I'll catch you guys on the next uh, P-O-D. C-A-S-T. On Car Radio. Oh, man. <gasps>